again to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, episode number 30-something, it is a Bronx Tale. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And once again, like always, we're joined by our good friend and musical producer, Austin Ray. Hello, Austin. Hello. So, if you've never heard this show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. There'll also be some terrible songs, some terrible impressions, some terrible banter, a whole host of hilarious shenanigans, uh, and uh, also a weekly part of the show that we like to do called The News. So, without further hesitation, hang on. Nice. Yeah, I hesitated then because I didn't actually learn it before. So, (laughs) thanks, guys. Thanks, and brilliant to them. So, what we do here is we go around in a circle and we talk about the most newsworthy topics of the week. Uh, So, without further hesitation, Alex, what is your piece of news for the week? Uh, Mine is about a very strange film that's coming out um, with a odd cast with it as well. Uh, There's a live action Pokemon movie which I didn't know was was coming out, Um, especially since Pokemon Go. That sort of Phrase seems to have sort of faded quite quite quickly. Uh, it's it's a bit of a spin on the Pokemon thing. It's about uh, Pikachu, the you know the yellow character, lightning character from the game, is going to be a detective, and Ryan Reynolds is going to play him. And apparently now, uh, Ken Watanabe is also joining the cast as well. So this is quite an unusual Pokemon film with quite an unusual cast. So uh, I'm I, I'm kind of, at this point, probably going to have to go and see it just because it's so odd that I can't not I see mean, it. Th- this sounds pretty obvious, but I think it's either going to be great or just absolutely shockingly bad. Yeah. I think that's what everybody said about Super Mario Brothers and <laughs> Masters of the Universe as well, to be honest. It, it's one of those things where you think to yourself, how could that even be possible? But then you think about the quizzes that we played recently and some of the questions, uh, some of the answers on that, you know, the films that are in development, like a Monopoly movie, how would that even make sense? So, mm. I, mean, I wonder if a Bulbasaur and Charmander will be in there. Who knows? I mean, they've got like to have, a, there's a lot of Pokemon to get in there, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, like a thief and a fireman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what if they make them? You know, like uh, Super Mario Brothers did, and instead of having like you know a little lizard with fire on its tail, it becomes like a hillbilly uh, sort of busker with a harmonica and a mohawk. You know, <laughs> I'd go and see it. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> to be honest, it's just yeah. got a lighter. You know, <laughs> it just sounds like a bunch of writers have just got absolutely high on drugs and just gone like, yeah, you know what? You know what this world needs a pokemon movie yeah that's great yeah well so we'll get the original animators into the no 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 no. ryan reynolds playing pikachu as a detective write it down man (laughs) (laughs) right well uh, thank you very much for that one alex um joel what is your piece of news this week my piece of news is there was a new tomb raider trailer if anyone has seen it um like after the original two tomb raiders it's fair to say like you know nobody was really interested in it anymore and i watched um tomb raider 2 the cradle of life the other day it's just one of those films which is always on uk television it's like tuesday night and it's like fucking tomb raiders on again um but the special effects were so terrible like i honestly don't remember it being that bad but watching the the new trailer obviously it's based on uh, the remade game, if anyone ever played that, like a few years ago, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, but it's a, it's based on that, and yeah, it looks very, very good. I just think it's got a, quite a lot of, you know, possibilities in there, which could, uh, you know, stand it out from the rest of the kind of old video game, 
genre type of it's, that we've been getting. It's got <laughs> uh, Alicia Alicia Vikander. It is, yeah. So the one, and she was the robot in Ex Machina, yeah. right? Which yeah. I, I thought she did an amazing job with that. So she was brilliant her, in The I'll Danish Girl as well. Yes. She won an Oscar so, for that. And she out-acted Eddie Redmayne, to be honest with you. She was the best thing about that film. It yeah. actually looks very Lara Croft-like as well, I think. Yeah, I, I think it looks good. I, I I posted the link to the trailer on our Twitter page, but I haven't actually watched it. I think my New Year's resolution is going to be to stop watching trailers for films because it just reveals far too much. I, you know, I don't mind like little snippets of bits here and there, but when it like reveals every single action set piece in the entire film, then I just think it's a bit too much. I've got to admit, every time um, a video game adaptation comes along, there's always that sense of optimism. It's like, oh, maybe this will be good. It's the game was good. Yeah. Maybe this will be good. And I think we've, apart from Silent Hill, which was actually all right, I think every video game adaptation, almost bar none, has been a disaster. See, Both I, critically, commercially, you name it. It's- I like the original Laura Croft Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie. I like that first film. I, you know, I'm not saying it's the best film ever, but I did enjoy it and I would w- happily watch it again. Nowhere near as good as the games, though. If you're a fan mm, of the yeah, games, you'd be very yeah. disappointed by it. Okay. Yeah, yeah true. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Dave, what is your piece of news <clears throat> this week? Um, I would like to talk about a film that has been banned in Russia. Um, anyone like to hazard a guess about which film Russia has, has banned Ooh. from being released? Tomb Raider. It's not Tomb Raider. <laughs> is um, that a recent one? <clears throat> it's, it's recent. It's recent. The Churchill thing. It's not The Darkest Hour. That's a good guess, though. Um, I was going to say The Darkest Hour as well. Um no, can't no, think. No, Russia has banned Paddington 2. Wow. wow. They've banned Paddington 2 because they, they've cited uh, international interference. Why? Why they think it's uh, Western propaganda. Paddington 2. Apparently so. Now, what they, what they really mean by that, it sounds more um, out there than it really is. What they're worried about is that they think it's going to be such a success that people are going to really love it in Russia, and they think it's going to um, affect the box office takings of their domestic films, which they're still trying to, to get the Russian uh, film industry off the way. They've had some good successes with the Russian film industry, but in particular, they're trying to get the domestic box office up. They're banning it because they think it's too good. <clears throat> well, they were going to ban it, and now they've only just delayed its release because there's been an outcry. Yeah, yeah. People want to see it, and in fairness, it's the cinema owners and the uh, distributors in Russia who said you can't ban it. Yeah. You've got to release it, you know, but they are worried that it's going to seriously affect their takings for wow. for domestic films. And so, yeah, they tried to ban Paddington, Paddington too. I mean, little, that is absolutely little, crazy. Yeah, but a little I'm bit sure of pub quiz ammo for you. I'm sure I read an article saying it's it's already one of the highest ratings films it, it of is all the, time. Yeah, it's the, the most highly rated. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was really good. I wouldn't, I'm not sure if it should be the most highly rated film ever. Yeah. But I think it's hard to... It's hard to have a go at Paddington too. It was a very fun kids film. It was very. Yeah. It was good, I, I fun mean, to watch. it's got to take a special guy to sit down and watch that and think, "Fucking ban this <laughs> Western propaganda." Uh, wow. So, um, my piece of news for the week is uh, about the reported next projects of um, director Steven Spielberg. So, his uh, current project. Ready Player One is uh, being readied at the box office. Uh, like, yeah, I can see a couple of nods there. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you know, hopefully this will do well. This will give him a good uh, box office response. And he's hoping that with that, he's going to throw it all away. And his next project is going to be Indiana Jones 5. Oh, oh, no. With Harrison Ford? With Harrison Ford. Oh. And hang on, hang on, Brucey, hang on. And Shia LaBeouf. No, I'm joking, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, with, uh, reportedly, Chris Pratt is being hired up to take over the role. I don't know whether it means uh, playing a new 
Indiana Jones or, you know, maybe Indiana Jones' son or maybe just a character that's going to be in the film that they're going to use to take the franchise forward. Look, look, the, the franchise ended really well on The Last Crusade, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it ended fantastically, riding off into the sunset, yep. father issues all done. I then it you. ended really badly with The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So where where are they going to go from here? Um, uh, try and make it good again, make it credible. I mean, it, it can't be worse. Wow, well, I'm jinxing our mate. Oh, but, you've said it. But, you know, it can't be worse than, than the atomic fridge. Um, it, you and know. the gophers. Do you remember the gophers when he came out of the fridge? Oh, yeah, well, the, 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 the thing that really annoyed me about that film was that I read an interview with um, George Lucas beforehand and Steven Spielberg and they were talking about they want to take the action films back to how they used to be and they were talking about the old Indiana Jones trilogy and saying well you know like if we wanted to blow up a car we would blow up a car you know like we like special effects like as they were using actors using actual effects using props using tangible things that you can actually hold and i read that and i was like yeah yeah that, that is right you know films these days rely too much on cgi and then the film starts and it's something like a fucking cgi gopher coming out of the ground and i was like what is that what is, what is, that is the biggest slap in the face that is like george lucas just squatting over the I mean, audience he loves cgi he puts he, it in he does he does it's just awful anyway so uh, spielberg's next project after that is reportedly going to be a remake of the here we go dave this is a quiz for you the most successful film um at the oscars of all time so it's won the most amount of oscars ben-hur no no so uh, i think they did they tried <laughs> swung it swinging a miss on that one didn't they yeah. <laughs> recently uh, yeah no. no uh, so the most successful film uh oscar wins uh west side story really uh, with with 10 wins fair enough didn't know that. Yeah. Are you going to remake it? Didn't, How do you feel about that? Didn't, didn't Ben Hur get 11? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I'm going to go with Dave. <laughs> I, I did just read it but then maybe it was wrong anyway Dave come on right? let's not have the whole biopic uh, biopic thing again you know um, I wasn't even there for that <laughs> argument yeah. three, three, three films have won 11 Academy Awards oh. Ben-Hur Titanic Return of the King yes <laughs> Jesus Christ why do I even bother no I know I know I don't even know why you tried to fight the fight there go. okay right well obviously obviously uh, where I read the, the source from is completely inaccurate but however um, he is going to be making uh, his first furrow into the musical um, kind of genre. So this will be the first musical that he's ever done. He said that it's a massive passion. It's a massive passion project of his. He's always wanted to do a musical, and why not now? So um, he's busy. Yeah. I mean, he's also got the post coming out, which looks huge Oscar bait as well, which I'm mm-hmm. actually really looking forward to seeing as well. Um, so yeah, wow. He's yeah, Tom Hanks in Wall Street, but doesn't get much more Oscar. No, I know. Even, though, yeah. it? I, 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 see, I see that, and I just think like try hard. You know what I mean? Spielberg, <laughs> Streep, Hanks. You know, I mean, come on. You know, if it would have been like uh, two of the three and somebody else, then I probably would have seen it. But because mm. it was those three, it's like really, yeah. It's like it's put you off. Yeah, it has a bit. I don't know. I don't know why. I just think like it's almost like they're trying too hard for it to be a massive success. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's a fair, fair play to them, though. Shouldn't they try hard for it to be a massive success? Yeah, but it makes me think that something else. Is, <laughs> it, makes, it makes me think that something else is lacking if they if they've mm. if they've got that team behind it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so um, yeah. So, what do people think about Spielberg directing musical? Yeah, it's a, it's a good one to pick. Yeah, do your worst, Stephen. Do your worst. <laughs> It can't be any worse than uh, Clint Eastwood's coming out and <laughs> directing Jersey Boys, can he? Ah, she wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. wasn't bad. Clint Eastwood actually did a good job. 
Uh, so yeah, um, thank you very much, everyone. Uh, that has been the news. Uh, I think. Hang on. Okay, right. So, um, <laughs> as I said before, if you've never listened to this show, we take a film and we put it on trial. We pick the films at random out of a hat. And this week, the random film out of the hat is A Bronx Tale. Um, so, uh, we also pick the roles out of random. And uh, the role of the judge is going to be played by Joel. Uh, his role is to listen to both arguments and decide which list the film should be placed on the hit or the shit depending on the arguments that are put forward to him and not using his own opinion we've got dave acting as the defense this week and alex as the prosecution and i'm going to be the character witness lending my genuine opinion to either side of the argument to throw a bit of weight behind it so to give the uh, listeners a bit more of an overview as to what a bronx tale is about i think i should read out a little synopsis so um how should i read it this week guys like a New Jersey gangster. Definitely. Yeah, I'd say go Bronx. Go Bronx. Okay. Full Bronx. Okay. Um, uh, a father becomes worried when a local gangster befriends his son in the Bronx <laughs> in 1960s. Very like nice. Your, uh, it's pretty good. Alter. Quite walking-y. Yeah. <laughs> a, a father becomes... Uh, <laughs> that, that was a lot of alter. Save it, say so. Hey, hey walking is from New York, you know, yeah. it works. <laughs> okay, uh, so um, what we'll do is we're going to pass it over to Joel, who is going to kickstart things. So, Joel. Okay, uh, we're going to pass this straight over to Dave, so get stuck in. Okay, thank you very much. I've got to say, what a pleasure it is to be defending one of my favourite films. This is, without a doubt, one of the best films of the 90s, and I'd say one of the best gangster movies ever made. This is an absolute gem of a film, an unrivaled gem of a film, and I would say this is a, you're, in for, you're in for a tough one here, Alex, I've got to admit. Well, we'll see. We'll we should see. just call, we'll it, call it a day right now. To be <laughs> hey, hey, I'm hey, going to have to do it so it's good. But, um, it, it's hard to pin down exactly what it is I like about this film. You know, I was sitting there thinking, is it the performance? Is it the script? Is it the set? Is it the score? It's all good. It just all gels together to make this perfect gangster film. It's just such... I would say the big thing that stands out for me, if I had to pin it down, the writing. This was written... It's this. I want to tell you a little bit about this film. It started off um, as a semi-autobiographical uh, off-Broadway play, a one-man play, written by Chaz Palminteri, who stars in this film. He plays Sonny, who's the gangster. And he wrote the play based on his experiences as a kid growing up in the Bronx. Now, he's taken some poetic license with events and with characters. He's merged some characters together and what have you to make it a better story, which you've got to do. But the the essence of this story, and to be honest with you, a lot of the moments that happen in the story are true. They genuinely happened to him as a kid. His real name, Chas Palminteri's real name is Collagio Palminteri. The main character in this is Collagio Anello. Uh, his father is a bus driver called Lorenzo, just like Chas Palminteri's. Um, he witnessed a murder right outside his house, just like as happens to young Collagio at the start of this film. There are so many elements, elements of this film that mirror Chaz Palminteri's life. It is semi-autobiographical, but I have to say semi, because they did, he did take some poetic license, I must stress that. But this film was so well written. You just get the feeling that this is almost a love letter to the Bronx. It's uh, Chaz Palminteri looking back on his growing up, which although, you know, he, he witnessed a murder, there was, there was some serious dark moments in his childhood, but he still looks back with a degree of fondness on growing up in the Bronx. 
And although I call this a gangster film, and many people will, you know, if you, if you look this up on IMDb, it'll say tagline gangster movies. It is a gangster film, but you know what? It, it's more coming of age drama, I would say, than it is a proper gangster film. It's not like Goodfellas, which came out around a similar time. It's, it's very much a coming of age story of Collagio growing up on the streets and... You could almost call it a love triangle, if you will, but instead of it being romantic, it's a love triangle between father and son with this interloper, this guy that the son starts to idolize, this mob boss kind of starting to interfere in the way. And it's, it makes for a great, compelling story. The father and son theme is omnipresent throughout. Uh, the film is even dedicated to Robert De Niro's father. I just like to point out Robert De Niro, who plays Lorenzo, also directed this. This was his directorial debut. And uh, I have to say, I think he did a really good job with the direction. He and uh, Chaz Palminteri, you saw Chaz Palminteri's uh, stage show. And he said, hey, you know, I want to make this into a film. And Chaz Palminteri had been appro- approached many a time by different producers wanting to make his story into a film. And he'd said, no, because I want to write the screenplay myself and I want to play Sonny. And he was an unknown actor as many, everyone apart from De Niro practically in this film are unknown actors. Um, and no one would meet those demands until De Niro came along and said, you know what, I'm, I'm right. I'm directing for the first time. You can write for the first time. You can star in a film. And it, it, they came together, this, these guys doing, um, doing something for the first time each. And it really did work. The characters that Chaz Palminteri writes are so brilliantly written and well-rounded. I mean, I'll go into the characters later on and the actors and the performances, but the, uh, the film is just brilliantly written with these great themes. The father and son theme is, is sensational. Um, the, the theme about wasted talent, I think, is that's another one I'm going to mention more with characters and actors later. You'll see why. But the theme of wasted talent, which Sonny tells uh, Colagio, is like there's nothing worse than wasted talent. And you'll see how true that was and how his, his words really did echo after the film came out. So like I say, it's it's hard to pin down what it is you love about it. It's, it the film merges, it's as typical with any gangster film, there are moments of real violence, but it's not gratuitous. It doesn't go overboard. It doesn't do a Goodfellas or a Casino. It's It has real warmth to it, real humor as well. There are some really funny moments. I love the bit where he's describing one of the mobsters, Jojo the Whale, a particularly uh, overweight mobster, and he says, you know, people said you didn't walk with Jojo, you walked amongst him. And he also adds on the end of that, rumour once has it, his shadow killed a dog. <laughs> there are some genuinely quite witty, funny lines in this, you know, and, and Chaz Palminteri, you know, he based these all on real people that he met and real people that he remembers from his childhood. And I think that realism, that reality of it comes through, you know, you feel like this is almost too good that a man could just draw this from his imagination entirely. It's so well written. It's just like this clearly, this, this is a big influence on this man and, and he brought out his life story here. Um, yeah, I, that, that's my opening statement. There's a few more things I'll go into later, but yeah, that's, uh, that's my start. Okay. Alex, do you want to? Yes, I will. I will come back on, uh, you know, I, I think I'd, uh, agree with a couple of things Dave said there. I would actually say it was more of a coming of age film than a gangster film. I'd agree with him there. Um, and you know, Dave, you know, Dave brought up the point of, you know, it was Robert De Niro's first time directing and Charles Marlman Terry, you know, it was his baby his play, his story. And I actually think that does come across in the film. I think there was a bit too many first-timers going on in this film. I think it was uh, Robert De Niro's first time directing, and I don't think he actually pulled it off. I'm not saying... I don't think he did a a film-breaking job here, but I don't think he made it a hit. His direction, it's fine, but it's not masterful. 
as it couldn't be because it's his first time. So I think in the hands of a better director, it would have been, I think I think this story needed it, to be honest, because it is a strong story and it's, and, it, and it's a very powerful story, but it, Robert De Niro's direction just isn't very, it's not innovative, it's not particularly original. Um, and I think a better hand would have, would have made it a hit. I also think um, Chaz Palmenteri needed someone to help him too. I think it was his baby. I think he was very close to the story as it was about him. And I don't think he, he always made good choices, to be honest, particularly. And what I'm going to talk about to illustrate that a bit is the character of Sonny, which is the sort of the mob boss who C. Calagero Cal, Cal, uh, looks up to throughout it and is sort of, you know, one of the, one of the points of a love triangle between, you know, Lorenzo, him and, uh, and the mob boss. Um, you know, it is a good, strong start with the rat, rat relationship, but I, I do think Lorenzo is a bit lost later in the film and the focus is more on Sonny. And, uh, you know, like, at first I thought his character was amazing. You know, it starts as a villain and it gradually becomes a bit more nuanced. You start to see, you know, because it opens up with him shooting someone and you think, you know, this is a monster. And, uh, you know, and someone who controls the neighbourhood through fear and not ratting and not, you know, not basically catching murderers because, you know, fear, not not because of, like, some sort of, like, like honour, just basically because he's going to come and hurt the family. Um, but, and, you know, he's, he's, it does gradually become more and more nuanced where, you know, there's a bit more to him than you thought. He's not just, a, you know, he's not just a, a sort of merciless killer. But actually, about halfway through the film, he crosses over his character and it becomes a bit, Fairy tale. That's what. That's my thing. It's this is a bit of a Bronx fairy tale rather than a Bronx tale. He he, he becomes a wise sage, and he's like unbelievably unprejudiced. He's he's his self justifications annoy me quite a lot when he says like, "Don't be me, kid," and I, I never had a choice. And I was, I thought they'd be a bit explored. I thought those would go be a go go into, but actually they just accepted like, "All oh, right, this mobster who controls a whole neighborhood through fear, and he's actually a terrible influence on everyone." you know oh no he didn't have a choice like mm, i wasn't quite taken in by that and by the end even though he is a monster he is glorified i think too too much and i think because Chaz palmentary was so close to him i don't think he had the necessary objectivity to look at his character properly and i think that this what this is what the film needed a bit more towards the end uh, i mean the cameo with joe pesci at the end even hints that the murder at the beginning was justified so the thing you thought made him a monster that was okay because it was actually he was sort of you don't know it's hinted at that he did something you know it, it just it just tips the film into not being quite objective enough and that's what it really needed and for me the ending confirms this you know dave says it was poetic license i think it's too much uh, to be believable in one night a lot happens at the end of the film i don't want to go into it too much to do too many spoilers but basically a lot happens and uh well should i say spoilers because i feel like my point would be better if i if i can yeah, say it just right. did, spoiler, it's an old, spoiler huge, it's an old film if you haven't seen it by now yeah huge spoilers <laughs> coming up in one night he loses all his friends and uh his secondary father figure in just one night and it's it's just too much artistic license to all be so neat as to have those the two subplots come together in one night and i think it was too much for lilo brancato the the actor actor who played the the older c to handle i don't think it was his fault i just think it was so much for him to handle and obviously it couldn't happen so i'm not going to say this is a, a terrible film uh, but i'm going to say that it, it should have been a hit and i think if it if it had a bit of a stronger if a director had been a bit stronger and 
the writer had, you know, been able to, someone had brought him back a bit and say, look, you know, we, we should do this, we shouldn't do that. We, you know, I, I just think it would have been an absolute classic <laughs> hit film, which it doesn't quite make. Okay. Um, Dave, I think you want to quickly pick on a few points there? Uh, yeah, I just want to quickly mention uh, the character of Sonny. There is no apology for the fact that he runs his neighbourhood through fear. That is, in fact, one of his biggest speeches to Collodero is, you know, Collodero asks him, is it better to be loved or to be feared? And he, that's a good question, he says, you know, and he thinks about it for a while and he says, it's, I give my men just enough um, so that they need me, but they don't hate me. But he said, you know, the reason I'm here on the street all the time is availability. People have got to see me. It makes them feel safe knowing that I'm here. And he says, you know, if I had to choose, I'd say it's better to be feared. And he makes no apology for that. And that's the nature of the character. He is a bad guy. It's like one of Robert De Niro's lines at the start of the film says, after C refuses to rat the police officers after after he's witnessed Sonny committing a murder, um, he says, I did the right thing, didn't I, Daddy? Yeah, you did a good thing. You did a good thing for a bad man. Mm. And there's, you, you remember that Sonny is a bad man. He's a mobster. He's a killer. He's that scene where he beats up the Hells Angels in the bar. It's horrifically violent. I mean, not gratuitously violent, but it really shocks you. And it's just like, oh yeah, this guy is a really nasty piece of work. He's a very violent man. He's an unpleasant man. Um, but then you have these moments of warmth, warmth and moments of humor, like where he's playing uh, craps with the guys in the basement. There's some really funny lines in there. It's like, I don't want your money touching my money. You're a jinx. There's those great little bits of humor going back and forth. And it's like, you start to warm to him. And then you have these shell shock moments where it's like, oh, wait, no, no, he's a bad guy. It puts you in the seat of, of where C is sat, to be honest with you. It puts you where Collodro is. It's like you see this guy, you like him, he's charming, he's funny, he's got these great pearls of wisdom, he's smart, and then you see him do something horrific, and it's like, no, no, wait, wait, what am I doing? He is a bad guy. And that kind of contrast, that kind of way you don't know where you stand with him, you don't know what to make of the character, it, it puts you where C would have been. It really lets you into the mind of the character. And I think that was really well written to get you that way. Go on. I just think, I, I just think if Chaz Palminteri hadn't known him as well, his character could have been just developed better at the end. I've got to point out, Sonny was based on three different people. Well, then, you so know. it's not one man that he has an, an affinity uh, towards. It's three different people that he's kind of merged together to create this one, I this ju- one character. I just think it's it's a little. He's a bit too wise, and it could have been a bit more nuanced towards the end. Well, Gav, we'll get your opinion here, shall we? Which side do you land on? Um, so I would probably agree more with Dave. Um, so. I, I do agree, actually, uh, I didn't think I would, but I do actually agree with a few things that Alex says as well. Um, so, well done, well done, Alex. Um, so <laughs> I was surprised, personally, as well. <laughs> I know, I, every time he opens his mouth, I just assume I'm going to hate whatever he says, but no, that wasn't the case. Right, Joel, do you want to move on? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so, so so what I will add to uh, to what Dave and Alex have been saying, I think what the film does is it, it, it does a really good job of drawing parallels. So, you uh, you know you introduce this character of Sonny, and as Dave says from the very get go, you know he's a bad man. He's a mobster. He's a mob boss. The first thing that we really see him do is to like kind of brutally murder somebody in broad daylight. So we know he's a bad guy. 
you know, every every time the um, Robert De Niro's character speaks about him, we know he's a, he's a horrible man. Uh, in contrast, when we first meet Robert De Niro, he seems like a loving, caring father. He's doing a good job. He's, you know, driving the city bus. He's working every single day. He fell in love with his wife, uh, you know, when they were teenagers. They've been together ever since. You know, they struggle with money and he supported his family and stayed with them through thick and thin. You know, and as the film goes on, there's points where uh, Robert De Niro is offered money to to work for the for the uh, the mob and he turns it down because he says no it's dirty money I, you know i've got my integrity you know i've got i've got morals i'm not going to do that then as the film goes on it shows like that people have different shades and different parts of their characters and you know not everybody is so black and white it's not such a thing as good and evil you know when um we find out that c um uh, c it becomes attractive uh, to a, a girl at school who just so happens to be black uh, he goes and speaks to his um he goes and speaks to his dad about it first and he says oh what would you think if i was to um start a, a mixed race relationship he talks about mario he talks about crazy, oh, yeah, crazy yeah. mario was to do this yeah and uh, you know robert De Niro, who we've come to know as well his character is, is a really you know respectful stand-up guy he has some um i'd probably say uh, he, he, he doesn't have very nice views on mixed race uh, relationships quite you know sort of he says that oh people should stick to to, to their own kind you know and they're, they're quite deplorable i mean when he then goes and speaks to Sonny about it, Sonny is, you know, he, he's, he's far more progressive in his beliefs. He says, you know, it doesn't really matter about race. If she makes you happy, then, then, then that's great. And, you know, that's all that counts really. And, you know, we're shown this at a time, especially when there's a lot of racial tension um, within the film. And the fact that we have these two characters who are polar opposites of each other having polar opposite views to what we would expect from them it's quite interesting so i think that the character study especially within the film is really really great and it shows that not everybody is just good or evil there's a lot of different variants to it and i think it's important that we know that sonny is an evil man but he does good things and just like you know robert de niro says at the beginning you know he's a good man but he does good things or is he a you know, a, a bad man that does good things, or is he a good man that does bad things? You know, we don't know. A bit like a uh, Biff from uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> bit like Biff from Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I, I was, um, I was a Great little Scott. bit confused as to, as, to, as to what I was thinking there, but it's just kind of nicely clarified it for me there. <laughs> uh, so, okay, second and last argument. Alex, you're going to start with this one. Am I starting on this one? Yeah, do as I say. Uh, okay. Um, so I think my I haven't got an awful lot to say on this one. I think mine is just a bit of a a bit of a plot point, a little bit uh, sort of a, well, it's a bit of a mish point, but I'm just going to go with it. Um, I think th- there's a really Gav brought up the the racial subplot that goes on through the film, and I think it's done incredibly well. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it's absolutely. Thank you, Alex. It's beautifully done, like really, really beautifully done. Very honest and insightful, and yeah, and and kind of no holds barred. And I think for the time as well, '93 was this was it made? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it's a really. I think it was really probably even more powerful at the time. Um, I'd, I'd say it does mess with the plot structure a little bit, and I do think Robert De Niro gets lost a little bit towards the later stages of the film. And the subplot sort of doesn't, you know, I think it gets a little, 
bogged down a little bit in it. I, I, and, I, and it's funny to say that because I love it so much. I almost wouldn't want the film to not have it. But I do think it's sort of, you know, the, the actual triangle between C, Sonny and Lorenzo, which is set up at the first part of the film, is a little bit lost. So that's one of my points. The, the second one, and I'll be fairly brief on this, is just that, um, like I was saying, I think Chaz Palminteri and Robert De Niro needed some help on this. And I think they ran a little bit wild, especially when it came to casting on this. Um, I, I think there's um, like a lot of the uh, like a lot of the supporting actors are quite poor and quite weak, and I think just weren't actors. So from what I've sort of read and read about it, there's a lot of people who were just sort of you know like I think it was the so- the mother of the young uh, Calagero mm-hmm. uh, was you know became you know became the mum in the in the uh, in the film. I think she's then in the Sopranos later on, but. Um, and, you know, Eddie Mush is a, a guy who was actually Eddie Mush in the neighbourhood back in the day. And it's all very nice. It's nice and it's very, you know, it, I think it keeps the, uh, it keeps it very, um, what do I want to say, uh, true to the Bronx sort of spirit of it. But I don't think it's, I think it's more, they've made lots of decisions with their heart here and not always with their head. And I think, like I was saying before, I think, it does, you know, the supporting cast isn't always the biggest thing in it, but it does matter in those scenes, you know, and it, and the scenes aren't as strong as they could have been if there'd been more, you know, professional actors in it. Okay, Dave, do you want to make your final argument? Yeah, I, I strongly disagree. I think, um, well, I, no, 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 not strongly. I disagree. <laughs> but I will accept that Alex is right. The, the, uh, they did get a lot of unknowns. Like I said, the only really known actor in this is Robert De Niro, who does a great job, by the way. He does a really fantastic job as Lorenzo. Doesn't hog the screen, even though it's his first directorial debut. He kind of holds back a bit. Doesn't steen, uh, scene steal. Doesn't give himself any more screen time than I think he's due. And I think he's quite respectful to the original material that way um and i think that the supporting cast yeah they went for authenticity over getting named actors in maybe they didn't have the budget for it i don't know but uh robert de niro was struggling to cast eddie mush and spoke to Chaz Palminteri about it and they found the real eddie montanaro still in a bar still losing bets the actual guy and he's just like let's get him to play himself and yeah he's not a great actor he's you'll he, this is the only thing he's ever appeared on screen in and it will be the last i mean he might not even be still with us i don't know but um it, it because it's eddie mush it's the real eddie mush he, there's a, a feeling of authenticity to it and you let it go and i think yeah the um the mother, I think, yeah, she, she doesn't give a particularly great performance. This is her first time on screen. She's not a trained actress at all. And I think it shows. She looks scared. She looks phased during certain scenes. You can see in her eyes is almost a terror. She, she actually took her son to audition for the part of uh, young Caladro when he was age nine. He didn't get it. But um, she got the role. They asked her to audition because she had the voice. Charles Palminteri said it reminded him of his own mum's voice when he was growing up. You know, that kind of... that. It, it, I suppose it's almost stereotypical. You'd imagine the Italian mother, you know, you can imagine her screaming down to the, the kids in the street below sort of thing. And he said, yeah, that's that's it. That's what I'm looking for. And so she got the role there for that. And it's that feeling of authenticity that I think led them to bring these supporting actors together. And I'll admit, you know, they're not as good as if you've gotten professionals. But in the long run, it just doesn't matter because what this film is about it's about that that triangle of Collagero and his two father figures Sonny and Lorenzo and I've got to say both versions of Collagero when he's age nine played by Francis Capra I thought that kid did a great job and when he's played uh, age 17 by Lilo Brancato I thought he was fantastic in this film and when I've talked about uh, wasted talent before it's with reference to him that Chaz Palminteri says, you know, I think Lilo Brancato missed the message. I, on set, he was starting to hang out with the wrong kind of guys and he was starting to get in the drugs. 
And De Niro and Palminteri both warned him off. He said, you're a good actor. You know, this is your first big break. You, you could really go far in this industry. For the love of God, stay off the drugs. And with regret, he didn't listen to him. Uh, went into a downward spiral. He did a little bit of acting work, but ultimately became uh, addicted and did a stint in prison after becoming an accessory to murder. After him and his friend tried to do a breaking and entering, uh, do a break entry and his friend gunned down a police officer. And Charles Palminteri looks at that with the, the utmost sadness and it's just like he didn't listen. It's, the film was about wasted talent and there it is in, in broad daylight in the real world. The kid wasted his talent. It's, it's heartbreaking because Lilo Brancato, I do think, could have been a great actor. And this film shows it. He gives a great performance. Charles Palminteri, I think, is flawless as Sonny. You can tell he's drawing on his experiences from his childhood. He's drawing on all those people that, that make this character of Sonny in his head. He's bringing, he's channeling them all, and he's playing it with such realism. You say he's like a sage. It's like, there can be that sort of, I suppose you call it street wisdom. It's like, that does exist out there. There can be really astute guys. And he is smart. He is clever. These people do exist. You don't get to be a capo in the mafia. Yeah, yeah, like you, Gav, just like you. You don't get to be a capo in the mafia without having something about you, without being a degree of wisdom, a degree of smarts. And he's clearly got that. I mean, I did want to talk about how well written um, Lorenzo and Sonny were with that bit with the um, the race issue. And it's like when um, Collagero brings that up with his two respective father figures, the way the supposed bad man responds to it and the way the decent upstanding member of society responds to it are totally contrasting. Um, and that is a brilliant moment where it's like, ah, whose side am I on here, actually? Which one is the most appropriate father figure? But it, I don't think Charles Palminteri's father was racist. I just think it, it was the 1960s. He was uh, already a middle-aged man at that point. He was a man of his time, and unfortunately people were pretty narrow-minded at that point with, with real regret, as you see in this film. I do think the race thing, I just want to touch on that, was very tastefully done. I mean, it gives you a taste of what it was like growing up in the Bronx with the mafia side of it is that in the opening credit sequence you've got kids playing ball in the street you've got some women buying groceries and you've got mobsters changing money in broad daylight on the street and it's just while the credits are rolling you know there's no lines and it's just like it was just there it was part of growing up in the bronx you just saw this and i think with the racism the reason why he brings up the the, the very tense race relations is because you can't overlook it it was there it was a big part of growing up in inner city new york it was a big factor of life and I think one of the, the most, um, there's two really heart-wrenching moments. The scene where Collagero's friends attack um, a group of black kids just because they're cycling through their neighborhood and they just knock them off their bikes and they start beating them in the street. And there's a man, a very well-dressed, like very um, astute-looking man, very um, dignified. And he says, run kids, police are coming. And he's like, whoa, this man's kind of endorsing what they've done. He's like, don't get caught, good job, don't get caught. Mm -hmm. And it's like wow, Jesus, this really was a different time. This is horrible. And that really brought it home to a degree. And also, I know we talked on, on Pulp Fiction, the use of the N-word, the slur. I think this is one of the few times on film where it's been used almost appropriately when Collagero, um He's, there's a scene where after that, that scene where the, the black kids are beaten up on their bikes, it turns out that Jane's brother his girlfriend was one of them and he accuses Collagero in right in front of Jane and says, yeah, he did it. It was him when Collagero was in fact trying to help him and Collagero gets frustrated and he uses the slur that his friends have been using and Jane has this look of hurt. I think is the only way to describe it. She turns around with a look of confusion and hurt and I think that if the word is going to be uttered on screen, this horrible word, to see the hurt it causes, to see the impact that can have on people, that 
is the only way to use it on film. And I think it was done so tastefully and so powerfully. I think it's impossible to say this was a badly written film. And I think some of the performances give it some real credence. Unlucky Boosie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, that was powerful. Yeah. Gav, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you try and help Brucey out. If you can. Uh, sorry, I'm just uh, mopping up the tears that Captain Dave's caused it. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I realised that I didn't kind of say anything before about how I had sided with Alex. I just went on <laughs> off, off topic, essentially, about something. Um, so, so things that Alex said before that I did agree with, I think maybe if uh, somebody like Martin Scorsese would have directed it, it would have been more impactful. Um, but as a film in itself, I don't think Robert De Niro did a bad job as a first-time director. I think he did a, a pretty good job, to be honest. I mean, there's some scenes that he probably could have filmed a bit better, but, you know... I think that's it's always going to be the case no matter who directs it, to be honest. I think some of the supporting characters um, are played by um, poorer actors, but I think the main actors give such a great performance that you, you don't really notice, to be honest. I think the people that you've mentioned before, Charles Palminteri and Robert De Niro especially, give tremendous performances. Um, and even, I can't remember the, the name of the, the kids, the, the guy who plays C, he, he looks just like a young Robert De Niro. It was it was absolutely spooky. I Lilo thought Brancato, when he's age seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Lilo Brancato. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, I think Alex might have been right when he was said that some of the script might have been sugar coated a bit, or you know, kind of made to, to be a little bit better than it was. Um, but you know, you know, you're going to have artistic license. I think when you look at any sort of biopic, there is always going to be that case where it's it's like they've kind of changed things a little bit just to kind of make it a bit better. Alex is literally mad than fuck you at me, even though I agreed with him. <laughs> no, it's just. I think it's just because biopic. I said biopic, right? And he, he knows that that's right. We had this big argument ages ago because he said it was pronounced biopic, and it was everybody... the Jesse James podcast, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, I wasn't there for that one, but I'm with you, Gav. It's biopic. Yeah. So you know what? Um, I take it all back. Uh, <laughs> I take it yeah, all back. Oxford, Oxford Dictionary there. Biopic. Bi- biopic. It's, uh, Oxford, Can I just settle this one? Because when I was listening to Jesse James, I know what this argument is. The English way biopic. of saying it is biopic. Yeah. The Americanized version is biopic. So both are acceptable, but we are British at the end of the day. We should be saying biopic. Uh, yeah, I'd just like to say, uh, fuck you, Brucey. Um, so thank you very much, Dave. Uh, I'm going to say it's, it's, uh, it, it, you've got it in the bag there. The judge just left to go and get a cup of tea. So. <laughs> I just want to talk a little about back. Lilo Brancato. Well, Ozzy can edit this if he feels so inclined. Lilo Brancato actually got cast in the role because he was a dead uh, spitting image of Robert De Niro. Mm. He was on the beach apparently, and it was a casting agent who knew she was casting uh, someone to play Robert De Niro's son. And she was just like, that kid. Is the spitting image of Robert De Niro. Yeah, amazing. Um, okay, so uh, while we're waiting for the judge to make his verdict, I thought it might be time for a quick quiz. So who's we, up for it? Are we doing final I arguments? thought we had to close an arguments yet. Oh, well, I was just oh. doing it because he wasn't in the room. I was, so. I, I was, I was filling. I was filling. <laughs> oh, it's not here, is he? Right, so before we go on to closing arguments, uh, it, we were talking about this being a biopic. Biopic. But uh, <laughs> you just... I was I was saying both versions of the oh, way they're just to appease you. Okay, um, it worked. Right. So uh, what I'm going to do now is this quiz is going to be about uh, people who have cameoed or haven't cameoed in biopics of their own uh, stories uh, in a quiz I call cameo 
or Camino. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, the quiz song I've actually used for this is uh, I used to have a little, now I have a lot. I'm still, I'm still Chazzy from the Bronx. <laughs> Which apparently is what he used to sing every day on set. I, I would love to hear that. <laughs> okay, guys, so I'm going to list eight people and their biopics. Uh, you've just got to tell me if it's Cameo or Camino. Okay, Jordan Belfort in Wolf of Wall Street. Cameo or Camino? Cameo. Jordan Belfort. Yeah, Cameo. 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 Uh, so you're all right, apart from Austin. Uh, mm-hmm. It was Cameo. He um, cameoed as the guy who um, buys the pen at the end um, when Jordan Belfort is selling a pen or something. I don't know. Okay, number two, uh, Hunter Adams, or I should say, sorry, Dr. Hunter Adams in Patch Adams. Cameo or Cameo? Uh, Cameo. Cameo. Didn't even know it was a real person. Cameo. I'm going opposite Cameo. Um, okay, so you're all right, apart from Austin again. Um, it, I will say that they are all real people. Uh, there is a Dr. Hunter Adams, and he was not in the film um, because uh, he hated it, uh, because he said it made a joke of his humanitarian <laughs> clowning. <laughs> which uh, he's, he's serious. Yeah, he's serious. <laughs> he seriously said it made a joke of his clowning. Well, uh, I think I paraphrased. paraphrased. <laughs> uh, okay, so number three. Uh, Adrian uh, Gnauer, uh, sorry, Adrian Cronauer in Good Morning Vietnam. Cameo or Cameo? Cameo. Cameo. I mean, no. Cameo. Uh, okay, so everybody is wrong, apart from Dave. It's a Cameo. Wow, well Once again, another Williams film. Uh, he it wasn't in it because he hated it. He said uh, Robin Williams just essentially played Robin Williams. So. What's wrong with that? Uh, Nothing. <laughs> okay, number four, Aaron Brockovich in Aaron Brockovich. Cameo or Cameo? Cameo. 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 That's a Cameo. You're all right, Cameo. She played a waitress in the scene. Isn't the waitress uh, called Julia as well? Oh, hey, you know what? You're right. You're all right. Well done, man. Well you don't, played, Austin. You don't know a lot about films, but you do know is fucking pointless. <laughs> Okay, uh, number five, Jim Lovell in, or sorry, Jim Lovell in Apollo 13. Cameo or Cameo? I think he is in it. I think Cameo. Yeah, Cameo. I'm going to go against the grain and say Cameo. I'm sticking with Dave. Cameo. Ooh, split down the middle, half and half. Cameo. Sorry, Austin, I've dragged you down. (laughs) (laughs) He played the captain of the USS Iwo Jima right at the very end of the film. So uh, screw you, Dave. Um, Okay. (laughs) Number six, uh, David Letterman in The Late Shift. Cameo or Cameo? Cameo. Cameo. I'm going to say Cameo as well. I'm saying Cameo. Uh, Okay, so it's Cameo. He absolutely hated the film and he, uh, it, it was all about uh, who was going to be replaced, uh, who was going to replace um, Johnny Carson as the host of the Tonight, uh, Tonight Show. And it painted him in a bad picture and he basically made fun of it every single monologue for about um, six months. So yeah, not bitter. It's not like yeah. him at all. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's not bitter at all, is it? Okay, number seven, Hunter S. Thompson in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Cameo. 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 Everyone's very confident. Cameo. Yeah, Cameo plays uh, a, a version of Hunter he S. Thompson. He plays himself, yeah. He does, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, okay. And number eight, last one here, Frank Abagnale Jr. in Catch Me If You Can. Cameo or Cameo? Cameo. Yeah, definitely Cameo. I think Cameo. I think Cameo as well. Yeah, you're all right again. He played a French police officer who arrests Leonardo DiCaprio in Catch Me If You Can. Hell of a film. Great. Yeah. I was waiting for a beautiful mind to come up there and everything. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, I didn't want to make it too <laughs> where, where, easy. Where is he in that? John Nash. I, yeah. don't, know, I don't know where he is, but John Nash is does cameo in A oh, Beautiful nice. Mind, yeah. He even oh. went to the Oscars. Yeah. Russell Crowe, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Kim Jong Un uh, cameos in <laughs> the interview. <laughs> Cameo. Okay, so we're going to jump over to the closing arguments. Um, I think I'm going to go with you first, Dave, just so Alex gets the last word in. Thanks. Give him every, every opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> um, so have we, have we got the sound effects ready? Oh, we've always got the sound effects ready, my friend. Right. Are you ready, Dave? Yeah, I'm ready. Three, two. Okay, I just want to say what a great film this was. Like I said, it's not entirely a gangster film. What happens with the gangster element, it goes on in the background. As you can believe, it would happen in the Bronx. It's quite accurate in that sense. It's very much a coming-of-age story, and like I say, the element of love triangle, only with father-son love instead of romantic. And I think it really works. It's brilliantly written by Chaz Palminteri. You can tell his heart's in it, and he's really drawn on his real experiences. I think Robert De Niro does a very good job of directing this one. The camera work is great, the cinematography is great. It's like he's paying a loving tribute to Martin Scorsese where he's clearly learned his craft I think it, the, the only thing you can criticise him of is that he doesn't get the best out of his actors but they are amateurs by and large and they've done that for authenticity purposes and it still works the main performances are good enough that this film still is one of the best films of the 90s wow yikes <laughs> do you want to bother Bruce <clears throat> <laughs> uh, I don't think Are it's you ready, good. Alex? Yes. Three, two, one, go. Uh, Dave's right. It is a strong story. Uh, it just There's a few key choices that they could have made when they were making it, which would have made it an absolute classic. And it should be up there with The Godfather. It should be up there with the, one of some of the best films ever made. But it's just not quite. Robert De Niro's direction is, it's okay. It's not, it's just needed a master to, behind it. And Chaz Palminteri is, like I've said, just too close to the story. Uh, especially in his casting decisions, especially in the ending where it becomes a little bit, the artistic license goes over, uh, just, just it breaks over from artistic license into just being a little bit fantasy land. Um, I, I also just don't think, I, I think the character of Sonny breaks this film a little bit. Um, it's just not nuanced enough, especially towards the end. He is just all knowing and a bit all wise. And uh, I think they could, he makes, you know, he kills someone in broad daylight because he's a mobster and that's fine. But the film seems to need to make an apology for him and his violence. And for me, that's just not good enough. Okay, so there we go. To be honest, like, I I was actually quite impressed with, with both arguments. Normally... You know, with a film like this, it's it can be pretty hard to find some of the bad points, but I was actually relatively impressed, Alex. Thank you. So <laughs> let, let's just say <laughs> it's on the shit list <laughs> and <laughs> we'll be in your ears next time. <laughs> but, but, you know, Dave was obviously very, very passionate about it. You can tell that he, that he really, really loves the film and many of his arguments were, it was like... Um, don't know how to describe it. It was kind of like closing your eyes and you're listening to Morgan Freeman narrate your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I can die happy. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's what it was kind of like. So, I mean, it's going on the hit list, but uh, I would say you can hold your head up high on this one. Thank you. 
it, it is like slipping into a warm bath of words, isn't it? <laughs> listening, listening to Dave talk. Can I can, can I just say quickly? I know, uh, like, I did agree with a lot of what I said, uh, but I'd also agree with Dave. This is bloody amazing film, like really, really good. And I also just want to say that that scene when you know she uses a racial slur, her reaction, that actress, whoever she is, because I don't remember in anything else, the way she looks at him, because it's kind of hurt, but it's also this sound of shock and surprise, confusion and as well, confusion, yeah. and also just sort of like, oh, you're one of them, basically. It, mm. It's just a. F- I honestly rewound that moment about four times yeah, to see the actress reaction. was Terrell Hicks she's actually not been in many things since she's no. a singer now like I said they went for unknown she's, yeah. a, she's a recording artist I'm not going to do my normal bit of trivia because I think Dave's, Dave's covered that pretty much uh, pretty much all although apparently I'm oh, sorry De Niro did actually get a driver's bus driver's license to do the film and yeah he had to yeah, he, was, he was turned down I think in Boston and then New York were like yes you can have it so. he's Robert De Niro of course he can you can have whatever <laughs> you Trebekah, want the man from Trebekah can get whatever he wants <laughs> okay so I think that's everybody's um Genuine? Oh, actually, no. I was going to say, is it everyone's genuine opinion? Alex, what's your real genuine opinion about no, it? No, you know, I, I think I'd agree with a lot of what I said, but I'd also possibly say a lot of what I said doesn't matter because the film's really good. And yeah, it, it is, it's 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 not perfect. It could have been better, but it's it's damn good, and I'm glad it's on the, on the hit list. Okay, so I, out of ten on IMDb, what do people think it got? Pretty fucking high, probably nine. Well, hang on, hang on, first. Do we think it was higher or lower than Masters of the Universe? <laughs> I'm going to say higher. I'm going to say I'm going to say eight point six, eight point two, or nine. Aussie, it's high, high. I don't know. Definitely higher than He Man, though. Uh, yes, it was higher than He Man. Shock, shock. Uh, seven point eight out of ten. That's lower than I thought. That is lower. But Aussie did show me before that it has ninety six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So, which um, is extraordinarily high yeah yeah which is very very high uh yes so before we uh bring the show to a close i thought we could do a little caption contest so i picked a hilarious uh scene from the film in which uh, robert de niro berates his young son for having a large wad of cash and he's in the middle of kind of flapping this wad of cash around saying where'd you get this from and i took a screenshot and put it on our twitter page to which i received a overwhelming response of zero uh, captions <laughs> um, but we have had a late one come into our instagram page um how many freddos can you get for this one of cash <laughs> five inflation's a bitch <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you win by default death underscore ray 88 uh, enjoy your Freddo. <laughs> so uh, we have as i said um we, we do pull our films out of the hat at random and we have Paul next week's Out of the Hat, and it's going to be, oh, it's going to be a good one. It is Field of Dreams. We've also pulled the roles out at random. In defense of that film is going to be yourself, Alex. And uh, in the role of prosecution is going to be Dave. Oh, round two, Alex. There we go. Here we go. Another go. In the role of caseworker is going to be Joel. And in the role of judge is going to be myself, obviously. Caseworker. What did I just say? He's a caseworker. Caseworker. Character witness. Character witness. Sorry, I've used abbreviations and that's the abbreviation I use in work. So I'm just, sorry, I'm just reading my work notebook out instead. Uh, oh, it's okay, sorry. I feel like the hamburger has just been rumbled. Um, 
Okay, right. So, yeah, anyway, I uh, just want to say thank you to everybody who has listened to us so far, listened to all of our shows. You can catch all of our shows, all of our back catalogue on our website, www.filmsontrial.co.uk. We have 30-odd episodes up there, so please go on and listen to them, give them a like, a share, subscribe. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Film Trials. Why don't you suggest a film for us to put in the hat we definitely needs to kind of replenish the hat we are running low at the moment and we keep on forgetting to put more in so we would greatly appreciate your suggestions while you're on twitter check out our good friends ozzy ray at ozzy ray who is our sound guru and all-round nice guy and also our graphic artist winston sang at the underscore quirks he's done some little videos recently to accompany our website and they are absolutely brilliant Also, just while you're on social media, check out our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages and give us a like. Why not, eh? Why not? Anyway, thank you very much again, everybody, and we will be in your ears next week with Field of Dreams. Goodbye. (laughs) 